0: Um, let's see, let's pray, and then, then I've got a couple announcements, and then we'll get going. Now, if the vicar was here, we said this to the joy group, and the joy group, are there any joy groupers here? <laughs> see, some people don't raise their hand. That's right. You've got to be careful about what you say if there are joy groupers involved. But at the joy group, we practiced. I said, now, what's the proper response when the vicar says, the Lord be with you? And also with you. And then when the pastor says, the Lord be with you. Oh, you guys are good. See, the joy group, we practice and practice and practice. And then the very first week we didn't practice. I said, "The Lord be with you." And frankly, everyone just sat there. And then finally someone said, "And also with you." So, <laughs> you can laugh. That, that's supposed to be funny. Shy, don't tell any of them, okay? <clears throat> so, let's let's pray and let's go. The Lord be with you. With In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty and merciful God, fulfill in us your promises and grant that when that, day, when that day shall come, we may sit down with all the redeemed at the heavenly feast and praise you in eternal light through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, a couple quick announcements. First, the Scare seminar. There's no one else in the world like Dr. David Scare. Um, so please, please, please sign up. We, you know, I can remember the last, one of the last great Saturdays. Matt Harrison was very good. Um, Chad Bird had a... I mean, there must have been 80 people down there. This guy, is, this guy is better than Chad Bird in a completely different way. So please, 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 please sign up if you're going to be here. Sign up's in the back. It's out here. We've got about 20 people maybe signed up right now. Uh, this guy is coming to us. It's a, we pulled in a favor. He's great. If we could get more people than 20 there, that would be excellent. So sign up. I think it's 10 bucks to come. He'll be here then, and then he'll preach Saturday night and all weekend. Also then, open house for the school um, next Sunday during this 10:15 Bible study hour. Even if you don't have kids school age, walk through the school and just see what all we're doing. Okay? Um, the teachers have kind of gone all out on this. They really want to show forth the school is a great place. And, you know, we have, we have a number of members who don't send their kids here. And so to say, hey, here's what we have to offer. It's, uh, it's as good and, in many respects, better than what kids can find other places, because we all, on top of everything else, we give them Jesus. So if you can, please, please, please walk through 1015 tomorrow, or 1015 next Sunday, spend a few minutes, okay? Uh, also, one more thing. This is, you know, this is funny. This is the first time I've actually taught this Bible study. Now, what's strange about that is Vicar Crane taught this Bible study. Uh, when it was Marcus Nelson, not Pastor Nelson, he taught this Bible study. Mark Burkholtz taught this Bible study. I don't know what they're trying to tell me, um, but inevitably, I've got a lot of catching up to do. So we're going to go all the way back to Philippians, then 1 Peter, then Nowen, then we'll talk about beauty and maybe we'll get to what I want to talk about. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Come on. You can laugh. Come on. Have some fun. All right. So you should have, who doesn't have a handout? Anyone not have a handout? Burkholtz is walking around. The man who taught this Bible study before I did, he's walking around. There we go. Catherine needs one. Also, there should be the offering bag going around, um, what's that? and the sign-up sheets, yep, and the sign-up sheets, so tend to all of those, okay? So take a look at your sheet. You remember from the past few weeks, um, actually, I was supposed to go last week, but Pastor Brusick wanted to close up, so the date's wrong, and the number is wrong. It should be number five, I think, um, but you remember from the, from the past few weeks, here's where we've been, and here's where we're going. So number one. Uh, here we are today with the whatever comes next from the past few weeks. Let me read this uh, Madeline Lengo quote to you, though, although Brusick stole it last week. We'll read it today. So, to paint a picture, or to write a story, or to compose a song, is an incarnational activity. It takes life. It's enfleshed. The artist is a servant who is willing to be a birth giver. In a very real sense, the artist should be like Mary who, when the angel told her that she was to bear the Messiah, was obedient, that's a gospel word, obedient to the command, I believe that each work of art, whether it is an, a work of great genius or something very small, comes to the artist and says, here I am, enflesh me, give birth to me. It, it's, it's an alien art. It's, it's an alien work that comes to the artist and says, Inflesh me and give birth to me. And it's an incarnational activity because the artist actually puts down on paper... Paints, or better yet, with an icon, writes what this outside form has said to him or her to write. So, this outside form comes to the artist, and the artist then is engaged in an incarnational activity. It gives life to what this thing has done. Got an idea? It gives life to that. It gives flesh to that. So, uh, today, we're going to talk about Mary a bit. But before we get there, you should remember that beauty is all over the place, it's in prayers. Wednesday, Psalm 90, out of this book we just prayed from, um, you know, let the beauty of our God be upon us. Psalm 90, verse 17. It's also an absolution. If you've been through private absolution, you know the, the great joy of hearing these words. Live toward the work and beauty. He would fulfill it for himself and for others. And then it ends, go, you are free. Only a free person can actually be engaged in a work of art. You can't be bound and be engaged in art. Pastoral guidance. It's the Viva Vox, don't kill it. Okay? What, you know, one of the great tragedies of Lutheranism is that people think it's all about the Holy Spirit. If you just get up and say it, it's gonna, all going to be fine. Now, hopefully, Lord willing, that's not evident here. But if you go other places, you'll hear this even in preaching. You stand up in the pulpit, and it's just just deliver and let the Holy Spirit do his work. And they always cite the confessions. The Holy Spirit works when and where he wills. Well, that's true. But to say it doesn't matter how you deliver it or how you speak it is actually, it's an affront to the incarnation. That Jesus actually took on human flesh and spoke a certain way. You've got to imagine the Beatitudes even or in any of his parables, it's not like the Lord just got up and said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted. No, there was life to that. There was rhetoric involved. So that's exactly what we try to do here, even with the readings, with preaching, with everything. It's the living voice of Jesus. It's the VivaVox. Don't kill it. Okay? And continuing education, then, over in Scotland, keep alive the rumor. That was that Bernard Beatty quote. Keep alive the rumor, and also, then, the title for this whole study. So... Given all of that, every place you've seen beauty, then you remember beauty is objective, it's not a matter of taste. It's not a monet. You've heard this, it's good from far but far from good. You heard that? Who's heard that? Oh man. Look at this, you guys are being enlightened today. A monet, good from far but far from good. If you're standing at a distance, it looks very nice, but still it's far from good. Everyone catch it? It's that's not how beauty works. Okay, it's totally objective. It's not a matter of taste. You can look at a lot of good artwork, but it doesn't have beauty because you think it looks good. You can look at these stained glass windows. They don't have beauty because you think they look nice. Beauty is also sacramental. Okay, it engages the entire person. That's part of the reason why in the Sunday, or in the uh, Wednesday chapel, we're working through with the kids, beauty in the five senses. It engages all five senses. It's how you see it, how you hear it, how you taste it, how you touch it, how you smell it. Okay, beauty engages the whole person, which means it's sacramental. And finally, beauty is divine. You know from Aquinas, God is beauty. Beauty begins with God. And when you begin with God, um, you can't go wrong that way. If you begin with yourself, you've totally got it flipped upside down. So, here's where we're at. Beauty is objective. It's not about you. Beauty is sacramental. It is about you. Beauty is divine because it's first about the Lord. Okay? Objective, sacramental, divine. Flip to the next page. Let's see. Let's see what we've got here. So, now what? This is the, this is the, big, this is the big question. Now what? There you go. There you go. Now what? Or in other words, how does this beauty actually get applied to you? We know from the icon of the transfiguration, beauty is applied all over the place, right? Um, James, John, and Peter at the bottom of the mountain, beauty is applied. They can feel the radiance of that beauty. Or as the Eastern Church says, they can feel the energy of that beauty, right? Uh, Moses and Elijah, who, just for kicks and giggles, I'll tell you, Elijah there, I think, is John the Baptist, not Elijah, but Shite's going to ask a question about that, and then we're going to be all off track for the next hour, so Shite, don't ask. But it's actually Moses and John the Baptist there, I think. If you read the end of Malachi, you'll see that he says, I'm going to send my Elijah before your face. You know Elijah's already gone. Who's the new Elijah, John the Baptist? And at that point in Jesus' life, John's already been slaughtered. So Moses and John the Baptist... Uh, But it's applied to all those those people feel it. Or Moses at the burning bush. He feels the radiance of God's beauty. But the question is, not just how can you feel the radiance of God's beauty, but how can beauty actually be applied to you in an objective, divine, sacramental, and internal way? How does beauty actually take up residence in your flesh? Because beauty applied to your forehead is one thing, But unless it goes through your forehead to take up residence in your flesh, uh, beauty is of no avail. So the question today, now that we know all of this stuff about beauty, what is beauty? Objective, sacramental, divine, how does it actually become internal? Or maybe a Lutheran way of saying it, how does it become delivered into your own body? Okay? So flip open to Luke chapter 1. Look at that. I didn't even bring a Bible. Oh, man. All right, well... Good thing I know the text, uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, I'm walking out of my office. Every Sunday morning, I forget one thing. Sometimes it's the proper preface with all the music, and that's bad. And then I've got to run back and print it off real quick. Uh, but today, I forgot a Bible. Burkholder, do so you have a Bible back there? Preferably not in a foreign language? You got an English Bible someplace? There should be an ESV back here in the... Come on now. Plus, we're going to do a verse where you and I don't agree on something. So if you leave, we can talk about it, Okay. All right, so Luke chapter 1. Oh, look at that. Okay, Luke chapter 1. Someone is very kind. And they have their notes here, too, which means I don't have to learn anything new. Okay, Luke chapter 1. Oh, whose is this? You know, here's what's funny. You could probably teach this class from these notes. That's very good. Okay, so Luke chapter 1. Uh, The birth of Jesus foretold. Let's start at verse 26. I always ask the joy group, who wants to read? And the very first week they said, we don't read. You read. So, uh, because that's all I know, I will read. Okay? Here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And you remember, these are just, these are just key words here for, for St. Luke. He's telling you all the details. Some people say, well, he's a doctor, so he gives you all the details. Right, Jeff? Gives you all the details. Um, and also, he's trying, I mean, he's, he's can tell you he's trying to catechize a certain group of people here, so he has to give you all the details. And the virgin's name was Mary, just in case you forgot who she was. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And that right there is where we want to begin. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. You guys ever use a whiteboard here? Nope. Well, you will today. All right. Luke chapter 1, verse 28, okay? There are three parts to this greeting, you know. The first part is the greetings, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. O favored one, who is she? The Lord is with you. He delivers the Lord through his word. So there are three parts to this initial greeting to the Blessed Virgin Mary. uh, So 28 here. You see that on your sheet, this is the big setup for the big finish. First he says greetings, which is actually not the best translation. This is where Burkholz and I disagree. Burkholz would say kyrie in the Greek, which is written there for you, is just a regular greeting like, hey... How the heck are you? It's great to see you. You know, it's been a long time. I'm coming back to chat with you. It's actually, though, if you look at the Old Testament and its usage in this form, the imperative, rejoice, rather than the infinitive, greetings, how are you? It actually means much more than just a regular old greeting like we're walking by in the streets. Okay? So the angel says, Kairi, rejoice. And you see there on your sheet, it's an imperative. Do this. It's an imperative used for the joy that comes with the deliverance of God's people. So quickly then, if you can, flip back to Zechariah 9.9, okay? Old Testament. Can you flip there? Zechariah 9.9. Let's, let's look up just one of these. You remember, and this is the great text for Palm Sunday, and this is why it all makes sense, Okay? Zechariah 9.9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Think incarnation. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, you remember that from the great Palm Sunday, uh, Gospel. That's what Matthew cites as we, we walk in, we read that text. So, the reference here to Kyrie, rejoice, is the same word, the exact same form, that's used for the daughter of Zion. That's the first thing you need to know. Daughter of Zion. Okay? And you remember, Burkholz, the daughter of Zion is actually a a nice word for who? What people? No answer from the back. Okay. (laughs) It's because we disagree. Israel. Okay, good. (laughs) That's your way of getting back. I know, buddy. All right. It's actually a fancy word for Israel. So he says, Zechariah says, rejoice, daughter of Zion, or in other words, Israel, rejoice. And you remember, Israel is kind of code word for who today? It's the church. Okay? So here's what we know. This is the Old Testament church. There is a church in the Old Testament. Daughter of Zion, Israel, church of the Old Testament, rejoice. Okay? Now he says to Mary, same word. Same form. Imperative. Do this because you've been delivered from your enemy. Rejoice. We'll write rejoice right here. Rejoice, Mary. And you know from Zechariah 9.9, this is first used of the daughter of Zion, who is a picture of Israel. Mary is about to be Israel in one. Why? Because from Israel comes the Messiah. From Israel comes the Messiah. You can do this many ways. One is theologically, from Israel comes the, from the, from Israel comes the Messiah. Or, uh, linguistically, the same word is used, rejoice, the imperative of the daughter of Zion, who's also Israel, who we know as the church. Mary, the same words used, Zechariah nine, 9. She is about to become Israel and one, because from her will come the Messiah. Mary is a picture of the church. So that's why it's not wrong to say something like Holy Mother the Church. In fact, that's very true. You know from Ephesians 5, the Church is the Bride of Christ, so she is a woman, right? Uh, And she's also your mother. Why? Because she gives birth to you. Right here, as the ancient church has always said, and as we fail to say sometimes, this is where the Lord gives birth to his children. This is, as as the baptismal font at the Vatican used to say, This is fertile ground right here. It's fertile ground. Right? Because this is a birth giver right here. And who gives birth to you? Holy Mother the Church. Okay? So that's what we know from verse 128. This is the big setup where Mary is being shown that she is a picture of Israel. Israel actually in one. Because from the Blessed Virgin Mary will come the Messiah. Okay? Second part of the greeting. Rejoice. Rejoice. Oh, favored one, or as you may know it, if you grew up Catholic, where's Stacia? She knows this. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to call you out, but it's good. Rejoice, or Hail Mary, full of grace. That's actually what the text says. Full of grace. And you'll notice on your sheet there, it's grace, however, that's Passive. Whenever the Lord does the verbs, you can't go wrong. So here the Lord does the verbs, and he fills Mary with grace. The root of this word, O favored one, you know, charis, grace, Eucharist. I mean, we heard all about this during the Eucharistia campaign, right? These all, these all come from the same word, charis, grace. So rejoice, O one full of grace, passive grace. The Lord does the verbs. Or... As you heard last week, Psalm 27, as one person, and it's right here, you see Psalm 27, verse 4, one person translates that word for beauty as grace. The temple is filled with not only the beauty, but the grace of the Lord. Temple, church, Mary, filled with the grace of the Lord. So this guy says, his revelation, the Lord's revelation, full of grace, think Mary, which is there visible to the eye of the Spirit. You can see Mary as the mother of God and the one full of grace because she will bear the Messiah. We're still not to how grace, is, we're still not to all the way to how grace is applied yet, or beauty is applied yet, so bear with me. Right now, some Lutherans are getting hives and they're saying, he's just talking about Mary. Just wait, we'll get to Jesus. And, as a, and this is so great, as one of the joy groupers said, when are we going to move past Mary? And I said, well, as soon as the Lord moves past Mary, because we're in Luke 1, verse 26, the Lord's talking about Mary, so we have to talk about Mary. We're just doing what the Lord says, right? So once we get to Luke chapter 24, it won't be about Mary, but for now it is. So, then the third part of the greeting. So he says, rejoice, you're full of grace, the Lord is with you. And you remember that when the Lord speaks, it inevitably happens. There's one account in all of scripture that I know of where the Lord speaks and it doesn't happen, but that guy's possessed with a demon and he's running against the Lord, But when the Lord speaks to those who run with him, when he speaks, it always happens. So he says, I baptize you. And how long does it take? If there were kids here from the early communion class, they'd say, instantly. He says, I forgive you all your sins. How long does that take? It's instant. He says to bread, this is my body. How long does it take for that to become his body? Instantly. When he speaks, it happens. So here to the Virgin Mary, he says, the Lord is with you. How long does it take for the Lord to be with Mary? It's instant. Instantly, the Lord is there. And that is really the reason why, at the beginning of every prayer, I, I try to make it a habit of saying, the Lord be with you. I'm actually delivering the presence of Christ. And that's exactly what the angel Gabriel does to Mary here. So, the Lord is with you. Ha, curios metasu, su. Liturgical in nature, you know it from the divine service. The Lord is with you. Okay? Any questions thus far? We've we've ju- breezed through the Kyrie, and Burkultz has probably got hives in the back. He knows it. But any questions about this? What we're trying to set up is that Mary is Israel in one who will give birth to the Messiah. No questions. Go ahead. just from the word greeting the question is just from the word greeting do we get the fact that mary is the mother of the church i would say yes other people would say no <laughs> but i say yes and i'm teaching the class so what else is there no I, here's the thing it is here that uh, that may not that may not be the right question okay the the wrong question is what Burkholz likes to ask. I love you, Burkholz. How can this be? It's just a simple greeting. How can that be that Mary is the mother of the church? My thing is, uh, the gospel question would be, what has the Lord said already, and how can that show us what he's saying here to Mary? We know that in this form, this kyrie, rejoice, uh, or rejoice, is not used that often in its imperative form, as he says here to Mary. And it's always used when the enemy has been, when, when, when the Israelites, when the people of God have been delivered from their enemies. I mean, that's what he does when he sends his son. He's about to deliver you from your enemies. That's why uh, Zechariah's great uh, Bene, Benedictus is so great. He's delivered us from the hands of our enemies through this Jesus. So all these things begin to add up. It's imperative, it's rejoice. It only appears twice in the Old Testament, always in reference to deliverance from the enemies, always in reference to the to a fee, at least a female personification of Israel, the daughter of Zion. And you know then the daughter of Zion is Israel. From Israel comes the Messiah. It, the connections just begin to work out. Mary is Israel and one because from her comes the Messiah. So, do we get all of our theology as Mary of the mother of, church, mother of the church from this? Probably not. But we get a lot of it. We get a lot of it right from here, just from this simple word. Because it's, it's, it's more than just meeting Mary on the street and saying, hey, you won't believe what I'm going to do today. Um, if she knew her Bible, she would know that this is a very important term. And that's why often you'll see uh, pictures of the Annunciation. You've seen these where Mary is kneeling in prayer or kneeling reading the Old Testament scriptures and the angel speaks to her at that moment. This is a woman who was catechized, at least from what tradition says. Right? She's catechized. So chances are she may have heard this greeting before. And, and maybe she even begins to put all the pieces together. That's a great question. It's not all from this, but a lot of it's from this. Okay? So then, the big finish. The big finish here. So let's look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, rejoice, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Three-part greeting. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Remember, this is different than Zechariah. Zechariah questions how the Lord can do it. Mary says, essentially, whoa, I'm a virgin. You're going to work all this out? Okay, all right. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of His Father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom will be no end. So right here is Mary's catechesis. She's being taught. Mary's catechesis. And you remember, in the early church, if you were to become a catechumen, what would the order be? First, you'd be catechized, second, you'd be baptized. And third, you'd have the Holy Supper. Okay? Third, you'd have the Holy Supper. In fact, uh, any infant who was baptized probably got the Holy Supper. Because what was the requirement to come to the Eucharist? Baptism. Through baptized, you get the Eucharist. So Mary is, is in the first part of this. She's really, Mary is also the first catechumen. She's the picture of what everyone who comes in these doors and says, I want to join this church. And by the way, I'm not baptized. And by the way, I've never had the Holy Supper. She's the picture of what they should be. Because first she's taught. Next will be baptismal language. We'll see that. And finally, Jesus takes up residence in her flesh. One flesh with Mary. Just as it happens at the altar when we say the body of Christ. Boom. You're one flesh with Jesus. Okay? Okay. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Honest question. And the angel answered her, and here is the big finish if you look at your sheet. This is where it all happens. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And this is, at least according to Luther in the early church, where the conception of Jesus actually takes place. How does it take place? Through the ear, right? Yeah, that's Luther's. You know, Mary conceived in her ear. She conceived in her ear. The Lord spoke and it happened. And now you begin to see why just merely saying something uh, doesn't cut it. You actually have to say it in a certain way because you're delivering the presence of Christ. And this is actually what happens at every sermon. You sit here as Mary's. And the Lord speaks, and he speaks into your ear, and either conceives faith in your heart or, or puts himself into you to, to already sustain the faith that is already there. Same thing that happens. In through your ear, down to your soul. In through your ear, down through your... I preached at the, at the teacher's conference. We had this teacher's retreat. And my whole sermon revolved around the way to the heart is through the ear. Why? Because that's how it is with Mary. The way to her heart is through her ear. It's the same thing with you. That's why it's the Viva Vox and you can't kill it. It's the living voice. If you kill it, it doesn't get to your heart. And if it doesn't get to your heart, it doesn't transform you. And if it doesn't transform you, well, then you're just still a damn pagan. Okay? It's got to get to your heart and transform you. So the big finish then, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You remember the same language, if you look at your sheet, was from Genesis 1 chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came upon the waters at creation. Holy Spirit, water, creating, making things new. You should be thinking baptism the whole time. Every time you read Genesis 1 1, verse 2, that's baptismal talk. The Holy Spirit hovers over the water, about to make things new. He hovers over the Virgin Mary, about to make things new. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Think Yahweh in the cloud overshadowing the, tabern- overshadowing the tabernacle, Exodus forty thirty five. He overshadows the tabernacle to protect it and to always make it new. And then with a word, the Lord takes up residence in Mary's flesh. It's conception via her ear. But you remember, this is objective. It's not about her. It's not about Mary's yes, first and foremost. It's not about Mary's yes, first and foremost. It's not about whether or not she says, well, this is great, but my, hu- my husband-to-be might be upset. That's not it. It's objective. The Lord says, we're going to do this, and isn't this great? And Mary says, yes, this is great. It's sacramental. It engages her whole person. It's divine, because the Lord does the doing. And finally, now, this is what we're trying to get at with beauty. It's internal. It's delivered because the Lord takes up residence in Mary's flesh. The Lord actually takes up residence in Mary's flesh. So flip over, then, to number five. Got about ten minutes left. For all of this, then, you remember from the Magnificat that Mary is then called the most blessed woman. Right? Right? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Luke 1, 42. But, but, there's a fancy word here, and the Joy Group loves it. It's an ep-exegetical chi, which is the fancy word for and. It's the Greek word for and. There's an ep-exegetical and, which means the second phrase explains the first. So it should read, Blessed are you among women. Women—that That is to say, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. What makes Mary blessed is the thing in her womb. So when people get bent out of shape and say, It's all about Mary. It's all about Mary. It's all about Mary. No. She's called the most blessed of all women because of the blessed fruit in her womb. Jesus does the verbs. Who's inside of her? Jesus now in the flesh. So using that then... That's not good. Using that, then, that Mary is the most blessed of all women because of the blessed fruit in her womb. Now, what about beauty? So try this. Number six. Beautiful are you among women, women and beauty is the fruit of your womb. And now, St. Thomas Aquinas should be ringing in your head. God is beauty. Who takes up residence in Mary's flesh? God. Beauty incarnate. Beautiful are you among women, and beauty is the fruit of your womb. Beautiful are you among women. women. That is to say, beautiful is the fruit of your womb. So what makes Mary the most beautiful woman is the objective, sacramental, divine, internal, delivered reality that comes when Christ takes up residence in her flesh through an oral word in her ear. The Lord speaks, he takes up residence in her flesh, and she is in turn the most beautiful of all women. So Christ does the beautifying. Jesus is always the one-off. He's always the thing. But Mary is the one-off's mother. And I think we need to take, I think we need to take note of that. Mary is more than just a woman. Uh, she is a woman who actually bore God. And so then our Lutheran confessions even, and I've got a few citations down here for you just so you don't think I'm making this up. Uh, Mary is then called, rightly, the Theotokos, the mother of God. And you've seen that in the icons where Mary then bears the Theotokos. She bears Jesus in her arms. In one of the great scenes in, I don't know how many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ, one of the great scenes in The Passion is where, uh, you remember Jesus is on the, on the way of sorrows, making his way to the cross. And at that point, you're probably saying to yourself, boy, just get there. Just get to the cross. I mean, it's like so drawn out. Just get there and die. But at one point, Mary runs out to Jesus. I can remember this. Abby and I were in New York, and, and we were at a theater just off of Fifth Avenue, I think, or off of Times Square. And everyone came into the Passion with pot dogs and pop. And, so, and I'm thinking, you're going to see Jesus die. So we walk in, and the whole movie kind of catches you up, but there's this one scene where Mary runs out to Jesus, and Jesus then actually holds Mary. It's a reverse Theotokos. Mary is the God-bearer, and now Jesus bears Mary. Or, if you believe the Kyrie in the Greek, Jesus now bears the church. It's a reverse Theotokos. And in the greatest line in all the movie, he says, Woman, behold, I make all things new. That is it. That's exactly what the Lord does. In coming in the womb of the Virgin Mary and going all the way to the cross in the flesh and her being catechized, baptized, holy suppered, all in one, and then standing at the foot of his cross, what is he doing? He is about to make all things new, including you. And that's the point of all of this. Mary is actually a picture of you. I don't want to jump ahead because we'll get to it. But Mary is actually a picture of you. So to bang on Mary is to bang on yourself. So when Jesus says, no man's ever hated his own body, well, to bang on Mary is to bang on your own body, right? So then, number seven, with beauty applied, Mary is, these are all straight out of the Lutheran confessions. I'm not making this stuff up. The mother of God, the blessed virgin Mary, the most blessed virgin, and finally then, even though she is worthy of highest honors, she does not want to be put on the same level as Christ. Not that Jesus doesn't want that. Mary doesn't want that. But to have her example considered and followed. So now, Martha's favorite TV show, EWTN, the Catholic station. She watches it every night, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> EWTN actually got it right. This is, this is the... This is where all of this kind of came to me, came together at least in, in, it was probably six or seven weeks ago. There's a young man on EWTN, there's a show called Life on the Rock, which if Lutherans could do this in a Lutheran way, I'll tell you what, it would change kids forever. They've got this brother who's always always in his habit, he's always, you know, he's just a brother, and that's just what he does. And he sits there and he takes calls, and he gets all these um, high-profile Catholics to come on the show, and they basically give their story. Now, here's what irks me about the show. This is why I say if Lutherans could do it better, it would be great. They're always like, you know, John Smoltz, the pitcher for the Braves. And John Smoltz says, yeah, I say a rosary before I go out, and I always throw strikes. Well, that's not the way the Lord works, right? I mean, you heard this this morning. You've got to ask within the name. Prayer is, uh, you know, persistence. Um, But if you step outside the name, nothing can go right. But they had this great, this fascinating guy. He was on The Apprentice. He came in second place. Donald Trump's apprentice. Devout Roman Catholic. And as they began to interview him, I was shocked by, how, by how, how articulate he was regarding the faith. He didn't just say, I said a rosary and I made it to the finals. What he said was, verbatim, Jesus is beauty incarnate. And Mary bears beauty. So Mary is the most beautiful of all women. And in fact... When I was 15 years old, my own mother died, he said. And from that time on, Mary, the most beautiful of all women, actually became my mother figure. She was my mom. Because I didn't have a mom. Now, that's exactly what the confessions say right here. Mary doesn't want to be on the same level of, as Christ, but to have her example considered and followed. You could teach a whole course on what it means to be a woman or what it be- means to be a man and, and respect women and love women and care for women all from the example of Mary. It's all right here. So, if you need a mother, you can look to Mary. If you need to learn how to treat your mother or other women, you can look to Mary. Or if you want to know what it means to be a mother, to follow your son all the way to his death and not give up on him, you can look to Mary. If you want to know what it means to be a woman... And even when other people scorn you and revile you, you continue to say, let thy will be done, look to Mary. That's what she's good for. And so then the point of all of this, of all of beauty, really, it's too bad Bruzik's not here because he might have a, he might, he might, you know, this, well, anyways. (laughs) uh, Let's keep going. Point number nine, the point of all of this, of all of our beauty talk, for anyone who says beauty is so abstract and I don't know how it gets to me, this is the point. You are no different than Mary. Beauty incarnate, Christ, has been applied to you via your forehead at the font, your ear from the pulpit in absolution, and directly into your mouth at the Holy Supper. So what makes you extraordinarily beautiful is the objective, sacramental, divine, internal, delivered reality. The reality that comes when Christ took up residence in your flesh and as he continues to do to this very day. Every time you walk in here, this is a little Annunciation. Every time you walk in here, the Lord speaks and he takes up residence in your flesh in a new and even greater way. Every time. That's why the third commandment is not, it's, it's not, it's not burdensome. Come to church and gladly hear the word. Why? He's about to do to you what he did to Mary. And if you don't come to church, this is the great, we we asked the seventh grader, or eighth graders, okay, don't raise your hand, but how many, did he mention this last week? How many of you didn't come to church and like four kids put their hands up? Well, that's such a great tragedy because what they're missing out, they're like Mary saying, no, I don't want any of that. Mary says, yes, yes, let it be so. Speak into my ear, take up residence in my flesh, and I will do what you have bid. That's exactly what the Lord calls us to do. And, it changes how you look at other people, how you look at your own life, how you look at your own spouse. I mean, one of, the, one of the great, here's the worst thing I want to hear, if any of you are coming in for premarital counseling, the worst thing, here's what I don't want to hear. Why are you guys getting married? Well, we love each other. Because, you know, your love may fade away, but even if your love is gone after you're married, your marriage doesn't stop. And that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Lutheran theologian from, you know, the last century, has this great line in his wedding sermon from prison where he says, you know, love doesn't sustain our marriage, but marriage sustains our love. My wife said she wanted to get that, you know, inscribed on a pillow right for me next to my bed, you know, next to my bed, our bed, (laughs) next to our bed. (laughs) Sorry? When I love her dearly. (laughs) Uh, Because that's what it's all about. It's not about love first and foremost. It's about the Lord getting best possible use out of you as Mary, as church, as husbands and wives, as whatever. So why do I love my wife first and foremost? Because she's baptized. The Lord has gotten at her just as he did with Mary. Forehead, ear, and mouth. That's why I love her. And then there are all these other reasons why you love her but first and foremost because she's forgiven and the Lord has spoken to her and taken up residence in her flesh. And that's the same reason you love your own spouse. Right? So, uh, this whole idea that, that Jesus has now taken up residence in your flesh, just as he does with Mary, changes everything in your life. Or at least it should. So what's next? What's next? To love and to be community. And to live joyfully together in Holy Mother the Church, big C and small c. I'm talking Church, Catholic, Roman Catholics, Protestants, Lutherans, whoever, and little c, Saint John, is to be engaged in a work of art. So here's where Madeline Lengel comes back into play. It's really to be written and to write. Right? Every time you come in here, you're a piece of artwork that we deal with, and we form, and we shape, and we write, and then you go out and help write other people. Every time you come in here, we paint a new picture for you. Absolved, forgiven, God forbid, not, not absolved, Holy Suppered, and then you go out and you begin to paint the picture for others. You're changed, and you begin to go out and change others. Because when beauty is applied to you forehead, ear, and mouth, just as it is with Mary, that actually, in reality, transforms you. You're not the same person as you you were when you walked in, you know, two hours ago for church. You're not the same person. And to say you are means the Lord hasn't done his job. But the Lord has done his job, just as he did with Mary. He gets at you. He transforms you. Beauty applied. You're obedient. Beauty in flesh. When you walk out the door, you actually bear the marks of Jesus, who is beauty incarnate. When people meet you, they should encounter Christ. And finally, it's incarnation. Beauty's been delivered to you. It's been joyfully received by you. And then it's delivered and received by others. And it's applied again. And we go roundabout, And that's just the Christian life. Come in here. Beauty applied. Walk out. Do it again. Okay? So, we've got... Boy, you know, I could finish. But that means I wouldn't get to come back for a couple weeks. So, let's save it. Um, We'll close... You know what? Let's stop there. We'll talk about this stuff a little bit more in a couple weeks. Scare is going to be here next week. No Bible study. We'll talk about this. We'll also read the... uh, Reardon, quote, please bring these back, okay? Please bring these back. Any final questions or comments? We kind of jump, I mean, we breeze through all of that, believe me. Any questions? No questions is never good. So, uh, where's Abby? She should try to save me at this point. Abby, anything? Nope, okay. That's good. That's why I love her. Baptized, suffered, absolved. My bride, I love her. and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next weekend.